guys, this is Jim. Welcome to another edition of the Holmes Politicast. Uh, we have a lot of things to talk about. Again, it's been a crazy week this week, uh, as if they haven't been crazy enough already. But, oh, we got some more Biden picks to talk about. We have the stimulus, and we also have what's going on here in Michigan. Quite a bit going on here. We'll talk about that first. Um a lot of things happening here in Michigan. Um, I'm going to start with uh, uh, this uh, article in the Detroit Free Press. I'll just give a synopsis of it. There's not really a whole lot to talk about in this one. But the Michigan House leaders have removed Representative Gary Eisen, a GOP lawmaker, from his committee assignments. This was done because Eisen, in a radio interview, alluded to disruptions of the Electoral College vote. And when asked if he can ensure no one would be hurt, he said no. Now, this goes back to, this is after the fact. So we know that on Monday, the uh, electors met at the state capitol. This is all over the country. The electors would meet at their respective state capitals. And they would, and they would vote for um, president, and they would send that to the Electoral College. Now, Michigan, as you might know, you may or may not know, there was cons- what they considered to be a serious threat to the Capitol, and so they closed it down on Monday. So only the electors could go in to do their voting. They had the Michigan State Police surrounding the building, there were a couple of people who tried to get in through a side door um, to create some disruption. I think they, I, I believe these people were Republican electors who were trying to get in and they were told they weren't allowed in. And so they, um, I, they got upset, obviously, because they claimed that being electors, they are allowed in, even though they were only allowing in the Democratic electors since the Democrats won the state and uh, so anyway they tried to get it through a side door and all this and there was a lot of craziness that happened Uh, armed guards had to bring the electors in you know to protect them but anyway there was a a, a credible threat Uh, that's the term they used I don't know what it was and so they shut down the capital and um, this is what was happening before that and that is that this representative said something along the lines of I haven't I've only read the transcript I don't and you don't know how accurate that stuff is, but he said um, I'm paraphrasing but you know that there was going to be a big event coming and he wouldn't say what it was just said you'll hear about it on the news and you know it's going to be a big event and it's going to change the the course of the electoral college vote and everything and the the guy. The interviewer asked him specifically, well, can you tell us anything more about it? Is it going to be violent? And he said, well, I, I can't I can't say what it's going to be. And he said, well, can you guarantee that nobody will be hurt? And he said, no, I cannot guarantee that no one will be hurt. So as a result, the Republicans in the legislature then removed him from his committee assignments as punishment for these reckless comments and and things and so anyway that was 
there was quite a bit of excitement at, at the Capitol on Monday, aside from just the Electoral College meeting. Uh, there was a lot of craziness going on. And so I don't know what's going to happen with him. Um, he presumably could be expelled, but I, I seriously doubt he would be expelled because they were dumb comments, but they weren't worthy of being fired over. Just, you know, just something had to be done. I know where the Republicans are coming from, even though he might have just, you know, been talking out of thin air. Like he might not have actually known anything. He might have just been trying to give hope and say, guys, it's not over yet. But the Republicans, because there's been such a a backlash uh, from the country uh, concerning, um, you know, obviously, if you're a Repub if, if you're a Trump supporter, um, you're assuming that he's just fighting to make sure all the ballots are counted and all the legal ballots are counted. But for a lot of other people, especially the way the media is portraying it, that, you know, he's trying to steal the election. He's trying to create a coup. He's, you know, um, and so there's been quite a backlash. And so I'm sure that the Republicans and the legislature are wanting to make it look like we're not a part of this. And we have to do something to show that we're 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 not we're not part of this coup. We're not we're not trying to overthrow the election. So they had to do something to him. So they stripped him of his committee assignments, which uh, I don't know how long that'll last. I mean, I mean it probably will be this session, but I'm sure he'll be back if he's reelected. Um, I'm sure he'll be back on his committee assignments next term. But they have to do something, you know. If they don't do anything, then it'll look like they're part of this plot, you know, like, oh, well, we don't care. Um, you know, so anyway, that was some of the craziness that was happening in Lansing on Monday. Um, speaking of craziness in Lansing, this kind of uh, bothered me. I, it, it shouldn't bother me, but it does. It, you know, like I said a couple of weeks ago, I don't know why I let things bother me that really aren't a big deal. I mean, they're annoying, but they aren't a huge deal, and they certainly don't affect me personally. But on Monday, when the electors um, came to meet in Lansing, this is Breitbart, Breitbart News is, has this clip. So if you look them up, you can find it on there, but um, it looks like I believe it's Lieutenant Governor Gilchrist is is chairing the the meeting um, because if I recall correctly, Governor Whitmer was one of the electors, so I don't think she can govern the meeting. And anyway, the the uh, the quote is he tells the people, please remain standing for the national anthem followed by the black national national anthem. This disturbs me. Why? Okay, first of all, I don't know why there has to be a black national anthem. We have one national anthem. That is why it's called the national anthem. It's not the white people anthem. It's not, you know, uh, I, I, you know, I just don't understand. It's the national anthem. So how can you have a black national anthem when we don't have a black country. We don't have, you know what I mean? Like 
I don't, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not making a racist statement saying that, you know, we're a white country. We're not a black country. I mean, we're not two separate countries. So, you know, like during the civil war, if you had the national anthem and then the Confederacy said, we have our Confederate national anthem. We don't use your national anthem. We've created our own that, you know, that is one thing. And that's what I mean. Like if you had half the country that had formed their own nation, which is a black nation. And they said, well, we're going to play the black national anthem along, you know, after we play the other national anthem, that'd be one thing, but it's a national anthem. It's not a race anthem. So it's the anthem for the United States of America. So how can you have a black national anthem? You can have a black song. You can have a black, you know, black song that means something to black people. You know, um, there are many songs that was, you know, that the slaves sang. There are songs that were popular, We Shall Overcome, and other things in the 50s during the Civil Rights Movement. You could say, well, we're going to play a song that's, you know, that's, uh, that's, has some symbolic um, meaning to civil rights movement or to black people, but you can't have a black national anthem. There's no, you know, you can't have a black national anthem without a national country, without a, a country. And on top of that, on top of that also, I do, why is it being played in the state house? What on earth, why would you have everyone stand for the black national anthem in the state house? Uh, I, I don't understand that. These are electors sending the votes to the electoral college to choose the president of the United States. Why on earth? Maybe I could understand the Michigan state song. I could understand that. We're going to play the national anthem followed by the Michigan state song. But a black national anthem, I just don't get it. And it bothers me. That just bothers me for some reason. Like I said, it doesn't even affect me. I don't even know what the black national anthem is. Honestly, I have, don't have any idea. This is the first time I've ever heard of there being a black national anthem. But it... <laughs> It just bothers me. And also, how are we going to have unity in this country? Everyone keeps calling for unity, that we need to get rid of the divisions, you know, even though they existed long before Donald Trump. But they keep saying, oh, Donald Trump is so divisive and this country is more divided now than ever before. And we need to unite and we need to, you know, we need to stop the divisiveness. So by all means, let's have a a national anthem and then a black national anthem. There's nothing like divide to Uniting people, then let's have two different anthems for the different races. You know, instead of having one unified anthem that we all sing together and we all have pride in, let's have a white person's national anthem that they can love, and then we'll have a black person's national anthem for the black people, and then we'll have the gay national anthem and the Mexican national anthem, and we can have a transgender national anthem and a women's national anthem. And, uh, you know, an Asian national anthem, a Native American. We can just go down the list uh, of every group and have our own national anthems. And then we don't have to actually, you know, coexist with each other and be a part of each other's lives. We could just have our own little world. It's just ridiculous. We're not going to be a united country as long as we keep separating everybody into by race and class and sex and orientation and 
religious group and everything else. I mean, I'm not I'm not saying that, you know, that we need to water down religion so that we all believe the same thing, but what I'm saying is that when we are Americans, we are Americans. We're not Jewish Americans and then the Christian Americans are separate and Catholic Americans and you know, and black Americans and white Americans. We're all Americans. And we all should have the same goal to see America succeed. That's what I mean. I'm not I'm not saying we shouldn't acknowledge that there are differences in our beliefs and our our races and our our genders or our sex or whatever. Um I'm just saying that we should be united as Americans instead of being hyphenated Americans. And this is just a tangent that I have. I just I've never been a fan of hyphenated Americans unless you are half and half. Like if you are a dual citizenship, you know, like if you have citizenship in, in uh, England and in the United States, then yeah, you could be a British American because you're you're actually both. Or if you've moved here from Africa and you've become an American citizen, you might still be an African American because you weren't actually born here. You're just, you know, you're still African. You're a new American. So, but I don't, I don't like these hyphenated terms. Uh, and I, I hear them all the time, you know, like he's a gay American or, you know, she's a, um, you know, a, a Mexican American or they're, you know, I, I don't know. I just, I just don't like the labels. I think we should just be American and, you know, and have a unified language. We should have a unified, uh, anthem. We should have a, a, a you know, um, you know, our, our political leaders, even though we disagree with them, you know, they're our president, they're our speaker of the house, they're our governor. We have disagreements. We don't, doesn't mean that we follow them lockstep, but I think we should be unified. And I, you know, and I, I think we should have a unified history. I mean, I don't have a problem with learning about, um, you know, the civil rights movement and things like that. I don't mind hearing about, you know, learning about a little bit about slavery. Um, you know, I'm not I'm not saying it has to be homogenized white history only, but you know, I I, I think that uh, but we should have a unified history. We should have a a unified uh, you know um, you know uh, uh, civics. You know, believing in in our country and things like that, which is not completely unlike what Donald Trump talked about with the 1776 project. I don't I didn't have time to actually look into all the details about it, but that's what I got from it. I, you know, I don't you know, the media claimed it was all like a white person history and all this. I don't think that's what he was uh, suggesting that we only learn white history. I mean, I, I think I, I don't think he was suggesting that we don't understand or learn about, um, you know, Harriet Tubman or slavery or, you know, the civil rights movements or things like that. I, I think that he just wanted to be a unified history instead of learning about women's history and gay history and black history and, you know, um, and have all these different history classes for the different groups that we have one history, you know, starting with theoretically 1776, but I mean, it would probably start a little bit before then, but still, you know, that it would be our history, not black history or white history, but our history, our story. Um, so anyway, uh, that, sorry about that little tangent, but that, 
bothers me all the time. Um, so a uh, couple other things here. Um, you may not have heard, you may or may not have heard about uh, Biden picking uh, former Governor Jennifer Granholm to be the energy secretary. I don't have a whole lot to say about that. Um, I was relatively young when Granholm was governor. I mean, I wasn't a little baby, but I was relatively young and I didn't, I don't really know a whole lot about her tenure. I don't remember anything big happening during her tenure. The only thing I really know about Granholm was just a personal thing is I met her once. My sister and I were in Muskegon and she was campaigning there, I think, for re-election. And we thought it'd be kind of cool just to go in and see a governor, um, you know, and she was doing a meet and greet. And so we got to shake her hand. And I mean, she seemed very personable and nice. That doesn't have anything to do with whether she was a good governor. But that's the only thing I really know about her. And she served two terms. But, uh, you know, so I don't really know a whole lot about her. But um, Pete Buttigieg uh, has been nominated to be Secretary of Transportation. You may remember him from the primaries. Uh, he ran as for president as a Democrat. Uh, he was the youngest candidate. I think he's only in his late 30s. And he's openly gay. He has a husband and all that. Um, but uh, he was well-spoken. And one of the things he had as benefit, and I don't mean this to sound, this is going to sound kind of pre prejudice, I guess, but allow me to explain myself. He doesn't quote-unquote act gay. And so he... Um, he's a lot more palatable to voters than if he, you know, had a big lisp and wore, you know, high heels and, you know, and all that kind of crazy stuff, you know, um, you know, he, if you didn't know he was a homosexual, you wouldn't know it by looking at him. And so that's what I mean by he's much more palatable and that goes in his favor. I don't know if he, you know, was a flaming homosexual that he would go very far. And I'm going to get some flack on that, I know. Uh, but it, it makes sense to me, as I've watched politics, that, you know, there's a certain conformity that you have to have to succeed. And, you know, um, because a majority of Americans, uh, and I'm just going to say it, it's true, a majority of Americans don't, hate gay people, but they don't really support that lifestyle. A majority of Americans are not, they don't want to throw stones and, and have them executed, but they're not real comfortable with that lifestyle. And if he was, if he was, uh, you know, like I said, if he was very stereotypically gay, then he wouldn't go very far in politics. So anyway, um, I don't know. <laughs> what I was talking about, why I got off on that, but because this is, because <laughs> I was supposed to relate it to this other topic, but there's a little free advice if you're a campaign manager. That's my campaign manager thing. Is if I had, you know, I, that's what I would suggest to someone who is gay is that, um, 
So Governor Whitmer released a statement on his nomination to be Secretary of Treasury or Secretary of Transportation. And she said, this is great news for our families, our businesses, and our nation's economy. Every American deserves to drive to work and drop their kids at school safely without blowing a tire or cracking a windshield. Uh, Mayor Buttigieg has shown a deep commitment to getting things done for Americans everywhere, and I will know he will work around the clock to fix and protect our nation's roads. Here's the thing is, I wish she would work around the clock to fish, fix Michigan's roads. She hasn't done anything, and now she's praising Pete Buttigieg about how he's going to work around the clock. That is not really the Department of Transportation's job is not to fix the state's roads. Um, you know, uh, I don't know exactly what the purview of the Secretary of Transportation does, but I know that he doesn't have a map out on every state and is looking at and finding out where the potholes are so they can be fixed. I mean, that is the Department of the Michigan Department of Transportation. That's their job. He can allocate some funds and other things, but it's her job through the Department of Transportation to fix the roads. So I don't, I don't know what this is supposed to mean. Like, this is her job, and she hasn't done anything, and now she's all excited that our roads are going to be fixed. Does she think that that this Trump's Secretary of Transportation is the one holding it up, and that she can't do anything? Her hands are tied as long as Republicans. Are, are in control of the Department of Transportation. I, d I don't understand that at all. Um, yeah, so uh, I just found that to be ridiculous. She needs, she needs to get stuff done. And then, speaking of which, this is a nice segue into Paul Egan's article from the Detroit Free Press, which says... Michigan Governor Gretchen Whitmer enlists up north ally in fight against the coronavirus. Oh, this is a doozy, folks. This one is a doozy. She released a video just today, which is a, a, a Wednesday, featuring her and a group of children talking to Santa Claus about the coronavirus and getting advice from Santa Claus about wearing a mask and how they can be good children and follow the laws and and uh, and how Santa, of course, wears a mask and so do his elves and all these other ridiculous things. I, I'm just amazed, where does Whitmer find the time to do this? I mean, She's so busy with this pandemic, a raging pandemic. She is busy with an economic crisis. She is planning a party for Joe Biden for the inauguration. She's on that, a chair on that inauguration committee. She's got all these things on her plate, and yet she's able to carve out time to talk to a fictional creature, Santa Claus. Spoiler alert for all the kids out there. Uh, and have him talk to these children about coronavirus. This is beyond ridiculous to me. 
I know there are a lot of women who think this is cute. I've heard comments from them. I've read the comments. Oh, this is so adorable. Oh, it's so nice for the children. Oh, blah, blah. No, this is a waste of taxpayers' time and money. She is the governor of the state. When we're in an economic crisis, when we are in a, a, a coronavirus crisis, a pandemic, and our roads are not being fixed, Flint still has no water, and she's having a Zoom meeting with Santa Claus. Uh, I, I, I don't understand, and, and, and I saw a picture of the Santa Claus. I, I really am disappointed in her pick that she chose a white male to play Santa Claus. I mean, couldn't she have done something more diverse, like a, a black person or a Mexican? Or she could have had like a transy Claus, you know, she could have had a woman dressed up. You know, she could have done so much, but she just went with the old cliche of a white, a fat white man. I, I just, I just don't, I'm very disappointed in Whitmer. She had a chance to do something historic by having a diverse Santa Claus, and she chose the white one. Come on, Whitmer. Are you really a Democrat? Come on. I expect this kind of thing from Donald Trump, but I don't expect you, a progressive woman, to choose a white Santa Claus. A white man, for goodness sake. Why isn't this woman working? She sends out a press release about working, you know, how Buttigieg is going to work around the clock to fix our roads. And she's having Zoom meetings with Santa Claus, with fictional characters, with a bunch of children. For, you know, um, propaganda. You know, with these kids, trying to get them to wear a mask and teaching them to social distance. We have a vaccine coming. But apparently they're acting like this is going to be a 50 or 60 year fight. So we need to get these kids conditioned to be wearing a mask and social distancing when we have a vaccine. And by next year, supposedly by summer, everything's going to be back to normal. But they're still trying to get these kids brainwashed. Um, this is just absolutely ridiculous. Uh, all right. Wood TV 8. Wood TV 8 um, has an article says, Broadway Bar says we can't survive without opening. Now, I've never been here, but it sounds really interesting. And if it ever reopens, I'd like to go sometime you know, for the for the ambiance. I'm not going to go there, you know, to get drunk or anything. But. Um, but in Grand Rapids, a new study by Michigan Hospitality Association found 33% of Michigan restaurants, bars, and hotels say they will be closed in six months if they don't get financial aid or reopen. Some local business say they won't even last that long. The Broadway Bar on Broadway Avenue Northwest at 6th Street is normally busy this time of year. It's famous for a huge, colorful Christmas display with decorations packing the space from floor to ceiling. I love seeing all the people in here. I do it for the kids, you know. Tom Skydema, who sets up the decorations, said, Adults love it, 
almost more than the children do, I really think, added Nikki Landon, whose mom and grandfather bought the bar more than 27 years ago. I think this helps them escape from their whole entire day. That might be the best thing. She said people come from all over to see how the bar is decorated during the holidays. 80%, that's 80% of the year's profit is made during these few months. This year, even though the decor is up, people can't come in. What do you do? You've got to keep people smiling, and this isn't working. So I'm glad that at least people can see it through the TV, Landon said. If you have ever stopped into Broadway Bar, you know it's a small space. When 50% capacity was allowed, only about 20 people were allowed in, not enough to pay the bills. Right now, bars and restaurants can't serve anyone in person. We miss them as much as they miss us, I really think. I really do, Landon said of her customers. Without that family atmosphere, takeout food sales didn't take off. The family says the business was too small to qualify for loans, so they were left to survive on savings, which are drying up quickly. We just can't. We can't survive without opening again, Landon said, adding they can only make it through the end of the year. The current Michigan Department of Health and Human Services order keeping restaurants and bar dining closed closed runs through December 20th, but the restrictions will almost certainly be extended past that. An online fund fundraiser has been set up to help Broadway bar, the Broadway bars stay afloat. This is egregious. This is absolutely uncalled for. These small businesses are the backbone of America. They need to stay open. They need to reopen and they need to stay in business. It is not, I mean, you know, you have companies like Walmart and Meyer and, and McDonald's and things like that, that are nationwide. And yes, they do employ people and that is good, but it is really the small business owners, the, the local ones that really make a community. That is what makes a community a community. I've never understood when I went to Chicago once with a couple of friends, I wanted to check out the local restaurants. I wanted to really see Chicago and I've never understood these people that when they go to other places and like I went with Chicago where they wanted to go to somewhere they were familiar with, like let's go to Applebee's or let's go to McDonald's or let's like, are you kidding me? We are in Chicago. Let's check out some Chicago restaurants. Let's have some Chicago pizza. Let's have, let's, let's, let's do something in Chicago. You know, I, I've just never understood it. I, I've, I've known people who, you know, have gone to Paris and instead of eating Paris cuisine, you know, they, 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 they go to McDonald's or something. It's, it's like, what are you doing? I mean, you could do that at home. So it really makes an area the small businesses, the small mom and pop shops, they really are the character of the community. And, you know, locally owned, locally run, you know, uh, they're just, and, and, and they are, are, you know, they meet the needs of the people because they live with these people. They are part of the community. So, you know, they don't, if, you know, they know if they raise the prices, they're raising prices on their friends, on their neighbors. 
So they only do it if they have to. Where if, if your corporation is, is housed in, you know, in, in Las Vegas or New York and they're doing business in Grand Haven or Holland or Grand Rapids, they don't know the people there. So really it's, well, we're raising our prices and you tell them too bad. If they don't like it, they can go find somewhere else to go. These mom and pop shops, I love. I love these small businesses, but we're about to lose all of them. And this is just egregious. This is beyond the pale. Whitmer needs to stop doing Zoom calls with Santa Claus and get to work, get our economy moving again. Stop these constant shutdowns. Well, I thought she was supposed to work with the legislature. What happened to that? I thought the Supreme Court said she can't just keep doing these shutdowns. Um, this is just ridiculous. And I, I'm also annoyed with the Republican legislature on this. Why aren't they reining her in? They have the power to stop this. Why aren't they doing anything? Uh, they, they need to put a stop to this. At the end of the year, we don't have that many days left. We have, you know, only a couple of weeks before the year is over. Three weeks or less. And these businesses are not going to be able to reopen. Um, this is just this is just pathetic. It makes me angry, and I don't know what to do about it, because there's not really anything I can do, is except just yell at the clouds. I mean, you know, I I can say this over and over, but it doesn't really make a difference. I don't know none of the legislatures listen to this program. The governor doesn't listen, so I don't know what to do. It just annoys me and we're in crunch time. I mean, this is really, you know, before it was, it was bad, but now we're getting into serious time where this, you know, we're about to go off a cliff, a fiscal cliff in the next couple of weeks, unless something drastic happens. And as of right now, Washington is in absolute turmoil. Nothing is getting passed in Washington. Nothing is getting passed in Lansing. The governor is goofing around planning parties for Biden. And what's what's going on here? And everyone else is yelling fire, pulling their hair out, not sure what's going to happen. And everyone else is too busy um, playing games and, and goofing off. It just, it's bothering me. Ugh, so. Um, here. This one, uh, the other day, Biden made some remarks, um, and Peter Ducey of Fox shouted out to the president-elect and asked him, when did you find out your son was being investigated? And Biden turned back with a dose of sarcasm and replied, thanks for the congratulations, I appreciate it, and just kept on walking. Uh, if you don't know, this has to do with the Hunter Biden situation that has been going on for since 2019, I mean, seriously, since 2019. Of course, the press waited until after Biden was elected to start talking about it, um, which is, you know, really, uh, well, you can you can think what you want about it. It, I think everyone understands why. But now it's starting to become an issue um, once, once Biden's about to take office. But uh, this, so um, 
and I'm not going to get into that right now. I have to research a little bit more so I can come up with kind of a timeline so I can explain exactly what's going on with the Hunter Biden situation. I've heard little bits and pieces, but I don't know how to fit, fit them all together to a coherent story about what happened. But this this bothers me that Biden remarks like that to Peter Ducey. Um Thanks for the congratulations. I appreciate it. You know, being sarcastic when they asked him a serious question. Um, you know, uh, it is not the job of the press to go easy on uh, on the president. This is this is where I was torn during the Trump years because I did not have a problem with the press holding Trump accountable. I. I really didn't have a problem with that part of it. I think the press should hold the president accountable. What bothered me about the way they went after Trump was that they were disingenuous about it, that they would edit clips and they would take things out of context and uh, and they would make scandals out of really nothing. Uh, you know, I, I remember the two scoops of ice cream that, you know, CNN made a big deal because Everybody else got one scoop of ice cream and Trump got two and they made a big deal about it. And I remember just thinking there are much bigger issues going on in the world than ice cream. That's the kind of thing that bothered me. And later on, that's all it was. But I didn't have a problem in the beginning. I know Trump complained about his his coverage and how unfair it was. that The press was so rude to him and all this. And I thought it comes with the territory. The press needs to hold the president accountable. They have to. It's not their job to be the president's spokesperson. Their job isn't to be the PR person for the president. Their job is to be critical, you know, and be suspicious of everything the president says and does. They should do research. If the president says we have to go to war, they should be critical and research it and find out do we really need to go to war or is the president lying to us? You know, um, pre you know, I believe that the press should hold the president accountable. My problem was that later on, like I said, they weren't holding Trump accountable. They were just looking for clicks. They were just looking. They were just trying to create things. They were trying to goad him into making a statement, you know, by making really rude comments to the president in order to get him to flip out and say something unscripted and to lash out or, you know, so they could run on messages of how unhinged he is and how we need the 25th Amendment. So I'm not jumping gears here and, and saying that it was unfair the way the press went after Trump, but it, but they should go after Biden. They should have gone after Trump, but they should have gone after him for legitimate things, legitimate issues, questioned his positions on things, and they should have, you know, um, but they didn't do that. And now we see here that Biden is under the mistaken impression that because he's a Democrat, they should go easy on him. And of course, it doesn't surprise me because everyone's gone on easy, gone easy on Biden from the beginning. I mean, the guy, I don't, I, well, I'm just, I mean, I've been saying it all along, so I don't think it's any surprise. Biden has clear mental decline. Biden might be suffering from some kind of neurological or, 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 um, you know, problem. And that has been completely uh ignored by the mainstream media 
and everyone's kind of tiptoed about it. Even Fox News has kind of tiptoed a little bit around it. Um, you know, they nobody's really calling it out that he has real a real problem here. He is. I'm, I'm not going to say he's a. Let me just say he's a touchy feely kind of guy. You know, which leads to questions of inappropriate contact and stuff. He's been accused of sexual assault by a woman named Tara Reed. You know, all of these things, and, and nobody's held him accountable. The only person who tried to hold him accountable, ironically enough, was Kamala Harris in the first debate in which she attacked him for being friends with segregationists and, and being opposed to civil rights programs when she was a little girl. And she was attacked, and Biden was very angry that anybody dared criticize him. And I remember uh, liberal Twitter, because um, I follow Republicans and Democrats and things, the liberals on Twitter were very angry that, you know, she said, they, I remember them saying that that was wrong of Kamala Harris to, to criticize him and attack him, that we shouldn't, we should be the part of unity and love and we shouldn't turn and bite each other and, and, you know, and eat our own. We need to, you know, that it was just wrong for her to take such a strong stand against Biden. So he's been protected all along, and he seems to think that that's his divine right, is to not be questioned about anything. And uh, so it's it just it, another thing that bothers me, that he's going to be in for a mess. This is going to be a tough four years. Uh, well, for a lot of reasons, but for, for Biden particularly, he's going to have some problem getting his nominees through the Senate, provided uh, that's just right now. If if all of this nonsense about, about electoral misconduct and all this causes the Republicans to not bother voting in, uh, in Georgia on January 5th, then um, then Biden will have an easy time because we'll have we'll end up with the Democratic Senate, um, which is unfortunate. That's one of the reasons why I really want Trump to concede and and let's move on because all this talk is causing a huge rift in the Republican Party. And there are Trump supporters that I'm seeing on my message boards on Twitter and in Facebook saying that they are not going to vote in Georgia, saying they are leaving the party because they believe the party is not fighting for Donald Trump enough. Um, it's It could be a recipe for disaster for the Republicans in Georgia if they don't pull that party together. And the only person who can pull it together is Donald Trump. So he'd have to call for unity. He'd have to concede the election. He'd have to say that, uh, well, I don't know at this point, how he'd be able to do it because he's carried on for so long, but he'd have to say that he's accepted the results that he lost, that there isn't any fraud um, or, you know, or something. I don't know. He'd have to find some way to word it to, to, uh, to tell these people to knock it off. Really. There's no reason to keep fighting. We lost fair and square. We've got, you know, and we've got to put our energy into winning in Georgia Otherwise, the Democrat, the Republicans will be out in the wilderness for the next two years, where the House and Democrat Senate and the White House will all be 
Democrat. We don't want that. Um, so, you know, we've got to have some checks and balances on, on Biden. So, uh, so I'm very concerned about what's going to happen in Georgia if they don't pull this thing together very quickly. If they continue to fight and talk about illegitimacy and, you know, and, and, and I'm not, I'm not saying that there is no illegitimacy, but at some point you have to stop fighting for the good of the country and the good of the party and say, I believe personally the election was stolen, but um, we're going to put the country in the, in the party first in order to save the party, which will be saving the country. We're going to let it go, let them take it, but, you know, and we're going to make sure that we don't let this happen again. That's the only way it's, it's going to be saved. So um, Biden's going to have a tough time getting his people in there and he's going to have a hard time Number one, because Hunter Biden is going to be the albatross around his neck, just like if Hillary Clinton had been elected in 2016, um, we would have seen the same thing. Her entire administration would have been bogged down with emails, with hearings, um, investigations. It would have been a really bad four years. Uh, and that's what's going to happen with Joe Biden. His the Republicans are going to have hearings on on Hunter Biden. It's going to be a distraction. It's it's going as we find out more and more. It's going to keep distracting Biden, having to answer questions about his son, having to, and as we find out more about what things he's lied about, because Biden has lied about his knowledge of his son's doings. I mean, we'll get into that later because we're, we're quickly running out of time, but. Um, he's going to have to answer questions about why he lied, why he why he didn't admit what he knew, you know what what happened there, what he knew, when did he know it? It's going to be it's going to be pretty bad. Aside from the fact that you're going to have divisions, as we've talked about, among his own party, the progressives versus the centrists, um, every each side wanting him, you know, to move to the center, the other side wanting him to move farther to the left. I mean, you know, plus. Uh, because of this pandemic, we're going to have an economic crisis next year. I'm not saying a depression, but we're going to definitely have a deep recession next year at the very least. And he's going to have to try to handle that. Plus, he's got problems with Iran and um, North Korea and uh, Putin. Um, you still have the situation with Maduro down in Venezuela. You still have Bashar al-Assad in Syria. Um, you know, it's not, there's going to be a lot on his plate and this is just going to be another problem having to deal with his son. Oh, and I didn't mention China. China's going to be a huge problem in the next four years. Also, maybe even more than the other four or five I just listed. China's going to be a huge problem. Um, and so, you know, the last thing he needs are these investigations and I'm not and I'm not saying that to say that the Republicans should go easy and not investigate because um, because it's the last thing the Biden needs. What I'm saying is that these are things the, the chickens are coming home to roost. These are problems of Biden's, you know, the, the Biden should have thought about before he ran. But these problems are not going to go away and he's relied on the press to cover them up, but he's not going to be able to do it anymore, especially now that he's when he once he's inaugurated as the president. 
the president has no private life. The president, everything's investigated with the president. Everything he does and says is of national importance. You know, so his, you know, you can't say, well, my son's off limits. No, he's not off limits. He's the president's son. So everything his son does is going to reflect on him. And if his son's a crook, then there's going to be questions that, you know, <clears throat> either Biden wasn't a very good father or Biden was an absent father, you know, and let his son just rate, you know, what, you know, it, it just raises up questions of, of fatherhood, of leadership. You know, if a, if a, if a guy can't, if a guy's own children are corrupt, then what did he teach them? What kind of values did he teach them? He taught them obviously his own values, you know, or if he didn't, then he was an absent father. Why did, why wasn't he raising a son? Why did he let other people raise a son if, uh, this son turned out so bad and it wasn't Biden's fault. I wasn't around to teach him. Well, then that also speaks volumes. So it's just, you know, it, it's it's going to be a tough four years for Biden, provided he he survives four years. I, I have my doubts that he'll be able to survive. Um, uh, he'll either have to resign for health reasons or God forbid. I mean, I'm not, I'm not hoping this upon him, but, you know, he might pass away uh, because of his age and uh, things. So um, it's always a possibility when it's always a possibility when you have any president that, uh, that they're not going to survive the term, but it's especially when he's the oldest man in history. I mean, the guy's going to be in his eighties. I mean, this is just uh, unheard of in American history. We've never had a president this old and this frail. I mean, he's just a frail man. He looks weak. He sounds weak when he talks. He, um, you know, I mean, Trump is only a couple of years younger than him, but Trump doesn't appear weak like Biden does. Um, Reagan didn't appear weak. Reagan was the oldest president and he doesn't appear the way Biden does. So I think there's a legitimate reason to think that he might not be able to survive this four years. Uh, I'm not wishing that on him. I'm not I'm not gleeful about saying that. I'm not, he, he, this is so much fun. Biden might die. I mean, I'm not, I'm not saying that. I just, I'm just telling the truth that it's very possible that he may not survive the four years, but especially if you add upon that, the difficulties of the job and his son being under investigation, his heart might not be able to take it. So it's, it's, uh, um, it's going to be a rough four years. I'll tell you that. So anyway, I think, let me, check the time here. Oh yeah, we're over. So I'll, uh, I'll talk to you guys here real soon and hope you have a great week. Bye everyone.